God bless you. It is so great to be here. I see so many of you that I know and probably a whole lot more that I don't know and will hopefully shortly. I serve the Western New York District travel the eight counties that typically would be Western New York. There's a few right at the top of Pennsylvania. There's about 32 of our churches that we have, and you're certainly one of those. And I want to bring you greetings from the rest of those churches. They are kind of busy right now. And, and so, uh, you know, we're just all doing this great work together, and it's so great to be here with you. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. That was such a wonderful reading that, uh, that your pastor just gave. And that's what I want to talk on today is Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, this great prayer of Paul, but under the topic of send it on down, send it on down. Now, I've thought a lot about this and uh, I knew that uh, this had already been read, but I think I will read this scripture again. So if they would bring that up, you don't have to just, you might want to listen to it. By the way, this this is on a nice little half sheet that's in your bulletin. And just a warning, at the end of this message, there'll be point five. We'll, we'll have a chance to read from this. So you may want to pull that out and take a look. And that scripture is at the top of it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit into your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Open these words to us. May they be such music to our souls. May we understand what you have for us in these words. And I pray that this prayer would become our prayer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little warning to the poor PowerPoint guy up there. I'm going to do points one and two kind of quickly. Uh, There'll still be plenty of time for him to get those transitions in, but... I'm going to spend most of my time on points three and and four. But point one, just a simple thing. And it comes out of, it's lifted out of verse 14, where it says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And I want to talk briefly about Paul's posture. Paul's posture. If you are a student of the word or you're spending much time in it, you'll find that this This phrase, I kneel before the Father, is a little deeper. It's actually in the original Greek and certainly in the New American Standard Version. It'll say this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So Paul's posture is really important to understand here. This is an apostle who's praying a prayer. Now, he may not be sitting behind a nice little table like I have up there. He might be chained between 
two soldiers, or he might not have room to do certain things, or he might be seated on the floor, whatever. I'm talking about his heart. His heart is bowing before the Father. That's important that we pick up his posture as he calls out to God, as he intercedes. That's important. Number two, Paul's perspective. Paul's perspective. I take this from verses 15 through 16, where it says, From his whole family, or from whom his whole family, in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches. Let's talk about that just briefly. His posture, this, um, or his, his perspective. Paul is on his knees, he's calling out, but also he's calling out to someone. And he's calling out to the great God. And if you, if you uh, understand what he's saying here, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, he's talking directly about God's sovereignty. In other words, God owns us all. <laughs> He's the author of us all. And so when Paul is calling out on behalf of those Ephesian people for God to send something down, he really believes that God can send something down. Real important we catch that. That God is almighty. Also, he says, uh, out of his glorious riches, that God's glorious, but also that he's generous. And I just want to briefly mention, aren't you glad that God doesn't give us what we deserve? Aren't you glad he's generous? I know I am. We just went through the Easter season, and what a great thing to know that God sent his own son to die for our sins and allow us to have such a great relationship with him, but also heaven is our hope now because of that. We serve a generous God, and Paul is calling out to a generous God on behalf of those Ephesians people, and now I'm done with points one and two. Let's go into what he's calling out for Paul's requests. Paul's requests. He calls out for four things. The first one is power. Power. I take that from verse 16b. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Oh, Ephesian people, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. I'm going to do just a little little trek through the Bible. You don't need to go here. Just listen to these. And I want you to realize the first three verses are about Jesus and the power of God, the Holy Spirit being upon him. Luke chapter 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. Just a few verses later, Luke four fourteen, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout all surrounding districts. Acts 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we've been talking about Jesus and how that power, that Holy Spirit power was with him. But just a few verses later in Acts 1.8, and I'm certain you, you understand this, uh, this Pentecostal verse here. But you shall receive power. Now notice it says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That message was to the disciples. 
that message was after Jesus had, had, uh, had ascended to the Father. This is an amazing thing that, that the power is now on us. In fact, if you're a student of the book of Acts, which many of you I know have read multiple times, the book of Acts is just simply the Acts of the early church. And in that book, 59 times the word Holy Spirit is referenced. And that's one-fourth of all the times in the New Testament. In other words, that church was a Holy Spirit-driven and given church. So important that we grasp the power that is available on high. I am finding more and more that people verbally assent to this. But oftentimes, particularly our young people say, I'm not sure I really believe that. You know why? Because they want it, they see it in the scriptures, but they don't experience it. And they don't really believe somewhere, I think, in their heart that this is possible. And I'm here to tell you that this apostle calling out to God Almighty was saying, God, send it on down, send some power down. And I can guarantee you that disciple felt like that was going to come. And it did to those Ephesian people. It did. And the same is happening today. That power is available. Let's go on. So we talk about, Paul requests power. The second thing he requests is depth. Depth. I take that from 16b through 17. In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Right off the bat in this verse, it talks about depth. It says, in your inner being. In your inner being. Now, if you're a student of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 1 says, to the saints in Ephesus. These people have already accepted Christ. But he's talking about something here. Paul is calling out for something here that goes much deeper than that connection. Something really deep that changes that person or transforms them. So in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he prays also that they be rooted and established in love. Let's talk about those three verbs that he talks about. Let's talk about the word dwell first. The word dwell is an interesting thing. He says, again, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell actually just simply means to settle down and feel at home. That's what it means. So if I was to re-say that verse, it would say, so that Christ may settle down and feel at home in your hearts through faith. So Paul is praying that these Ephesians would have a deep interrelationship with Jesus, so much so that the Father would feel at home in their lives. That is so incredibly important. They had already prayed and asked for Christ to come in, but now he is or the hope is that he will now take the throne of their lives. I, uh, I want to just share a little illustration that came to me, and it's, it could be used with any missionary that I know, but I, I know here in this congregation, you have perhaps even sitting here today some missionaries or people who have served many years overseas. From what I've seen and the people I've been with that have that, that call to missions, they're kind of uncomfortable at first. 
They have this call, but they're not really ready to go over there. They tend to not have the language down very well. And they, they got to kind of talk to everybody they can about what, am I, what should I expect. They've got to kind of become missional in their approach. And so they go and they, we, oftentimes we're sending them. And as they go, they spend a lot of time in language development at first. And then they start to build some bridges, small, typically relationship type things. And then that begins to build. But I have known a number of missionaries who in their first years really don't have a whole lot of visible fruit. In fact, you probably, as I do, we all know missionaries who still don't have any visible, visible fruit. They've been there for a long period of time. Now, this missionary goes, but because they're so used to the U.S., because they're so used to the things, their language, whatever, they're not very comfortable. They're there, but they're not very comfortable. So at first, there's this kind of interlude, but then eventually they get to start make make relationships more and more and perhaps even can point to some converts. And then over the course of their years, and I've talked to a number of them who are more towards the end of their missionary experience, they say, I love it here. This has become my life. This is the church that I care about so much. And they were from the United States, but now they're from whatever country that is. Well, that's what I'm talking about or what Paul was praying for is that Christ would dwell. He, would, he is there. He would be in these Ephesian people, but that there would be such a change in them. And oftentimes as missionaries preach and teach, the light of the gospel brings more light that that would happen. And so in the pers- Ephesian person's life, as they change and grow and whatever, God's who's been in there, becomes more and more and more at home. And I can only say, in thinking of my own life, I am so glad I've changed. God's changed me. The thoughts I once had are not the thoughts I have now. The things I once would have done are not the things I do now. The things that excite me are not the things that would excite me then. I have been transformed. That's what Paul is praying for these Ephesians, that he would feel comfortable in their house. Rooted. And I pray that you being rooted in love, notice, in love, rooted. Now, I'm from Iowa, and I don't know if that's a secret to you. It's not Idaho, by the way. A lot of people get that, Iowa. (laughs) It's a little flat area, a little flat state, and we have all this yellow stuff that grows. It's called corn. It's the most incredible thing there. And I know you know corn, but honestly, no offense to you all, but Iowa is just plastered with corn. It's just everywhere. It's just square mile after square mile of corn. That's the breadbasket, as they call it, uh, that comes out of there. So I was used to that. So when I see roots, I always think of corn. Now, you may be thinking of corn, too, but I'm, I'm also going to mention trees. I just, we don't have any trees because we cut them all down to put more corn up. But around here is just trees and everywhere. And so whatever your perspective on roots might be, it's so important that we get roots down. That's what Paul is trying to say, that, that they would be rooted. The tree must plunge its roots deep into the soil if it's to have both nourishment and stability. And the Christian must plunge their spiritual roots deep into the love of God. That's where it needs to go. Jeremiah seventeen five through 8 says it way better than me. They contrast two different individuals that have put their roots somewhere. And the one 
doesn't put it in God, the other one does. And so listen to this. This is Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. It's really good in the New American Standard is where I'm taking this from. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. I don't know if you're catching the drift of this verse, but it's basically saying it's going to be dry where this person has chosen to pitch their tent and who they're looking towards, they're trusting in mankind. But now verse seven is kind of another section of this. It's almost like this contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. In other words, his roots are in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. There is a whole message in there that I may preach one day, perhaps even here, on this verse. But just suffice it to say that the the person who has their roots connected to God, they continue to be green no matter what, no matter where, no matter what difficulties they may face. Established. Paul also says and prays for the Ephesians to be established in love. And that simply means grounded. And I have on my, my slide kind of a, it might be hard to see, but that's a footer that they're building and these men have dug these big trenches and then they put these forms in there and then they have put re-rod in those forms. That's just simply metal bars welded together and they're hoping to pour cement in there because when they pour cement into all that with those forms holding it all together, those uh, foundational parts are going to become incredibly strong. And that's exactly what he's talking about by being established in love. Now, Jesus told the story about two builders. I bet you know it, and I won't go there too far. But one of whom did not go deep enough with his foundation. That's Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Paul prayed that there would be a different experience. That the believers might have a deep experience with Christ and his divine love so much because only that deep experience would sustain them during the severe trials of life. And builders will say this sentence often. And it's a true one. If you don't go deep, you can't go high. And so depth is what Paul prays for those Ephesians. Send it on down, God. Not only power, but also depth. Let's go on to the third thing, and that's understanding. Understanding. That they may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I have a light bulb there because we're talking about understanding. And actually, I need your prayers really a lot right now. Would you pray for me that I would be able to share about something that is so divine and so special that the human has a hard time grasping it? In fact, pray that the Holy Spirit helps us all to grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In fact, this is so incredible, it's ununderstandable to the human. So I need your prayers. 
I want to talk about the four dimensions of Christ's love. And if we can get this and grasp this through the power of the Spirit, it's just amazing how attractive and how effective we will be. How wide is God's love? That's the first question. How wide is God's love? Well, my Bible teaches me that Christ covers everybody. But here's how he teaches me that. It's a simple verse. It tells me that his love is as far as the east is from the west. Even an Iowan knows that's pretty far. Now, human, not so far. Kind of limited. Sometimes I can limit that, but not God. So trying to understand that and process that, I think I'm learning more and more about a love that covers us all, that is there for us all. That's so, so, so important. Length. To what lengths would God go? Or how long is God's love? Well, let's talk about the lengths, first of all, in this wonderful cross or difficult-looking cross beside me here. The lengths that God went to to, to uh, bring forth our salvation. If, if you happen to uh, see the Passion movie during the Passion Week, that, that's, a, that's an amazing movie. I'm not sure I'd even tell you to do it. I think I saw it once and it was so hard to watch. But there are such lengths in that movie of what Jesus went through to, to die for my sins and to pay that debt for me. And so the lengths are just amazing. But let's even go farther. How, how long is God's love? Well, I don't know about you, but my Bible teaches me that it's eternal. It'll be there forever and ever and ever. And ever. Did you know that I'm not going to die? Oh, I may die physically, but the Holy Spirit is teaching me I'm not going to die. I'm going to live with Jesus forever. In fact, I believe this so much that when I do funerals and, and I'm out at the committal part of the funeral, we always sing Amazing Grace. And when we sing that, we don't just sing the first verse, we always sing. The last verse, and I just want to sing that for you. Think of this. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days. Let me sing that again. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. The more the Holy Spirit teaches me, I am learning over and over again that that is so special. After 10,000 years, I won't even have started praising God. That's eternity, and that's hard for the human, but that's God. Let's go on to the next one, height. How high is God's love? How high is God's love? Well, let me just say, how high is heaven? Paul says he got caught up to the third heaven. I'm struggling with one or two. How high is heaven? I know that's pretty high, but God seems to even transcend that. Listen to these words from Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God's pretty high, isn't he? And then the last one, depth. How deep is God's love? How deep is God's love? Now, I'm going to tell you a story. And I've already heard oodles of times that this is a dumb story. 
So I'm just going to tell you up front, warn you. It's, I already know that, so you don't have to tell me if you're leaving. That was a dumb story. Here comes the dumb story, okay? Two little boys were trying to determine how deep the water-filled hole was in front of their houses. One thought the depth of that hole was several feet. The other thought it was several inches. Thus, the argument. They argued and they argued and they argued. Finally, a third boy appears. He listened attentively to the arguments of, the, of each of the boys. But then he was asked, so how deep do you think the hole is? Well, he stepped up to the hole and he studied the matter most carefully. And then he smiled broadly. And then he said, all the way to the bottom. I told you it was dumb. But actually, it has a point when you think about the depth of God's love. I have studied that matter most carefully. And I can smile broadly. And I can say, it's all the way to the bottom. That's how deep God's love is. That's how deep God's love is. D, or the fourth one, is fullness. So Paul prays for power. He prays for depth. He prays for understanding. And the last one is fullness that he calls out on behalf of those Ephesian people for. Fullness. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow, what a, what a prayer. I have a picture of a gas nozzle there. And it, it, the reason I put that there is because of the terms here. It's talking about 100% filling, filling. Complete, whole is what this is talking about. And when I think of a gas nozzle, we're supposed to fill the car up, not just put a few dollars in. And sadly, so many people kind of just have only like three or four bucks worth. And honestly, in our day and age, that doesn't buy much gas, does it? How low can I go and still get an A? How low can I go and get into heaven? But that's not what Paul is praying. He's praying for an abundant filling of the Holy Spirit, so much full, uh, so much so that they're filled to the fullness of God himself. Wow. Well, that takes us to point four. And you may be saying, that's a wonderful prayer. And I know that, The apostle prayed for all that, but how's that going to happen? Well, that's why I titled this, Send It On Down. It's going to have to come from on high because we can't do those things. We can't be those things. It has to come from God. And so I'm going to talk about Paul's hope for just a minute. Verse 20 and 21 say, and by the way, I put a picture. I don't know if that's going to come up that glory days. I'm not a Yankee fan. I live in New York, but I'm not a Yankee fan. I actually came from Iowa. So, but, but I love this poster. It says the glory days on it. That's what he's praying about, is that the glory would fall from above. And so Ephesians uh, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, 
more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. Wouldn't that be great? And in Christ Jesus, that's us, that's personal, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer for the saints in Ephesus was that they would connect deeply with God through the Holy Spirit. A connection that would bring them depth and love and power to their Christianity and ultimately then to their church. Look at the last two verses again. Only God could bring such a prayer to pass. Isn't that true? Only God could do that. It would have to be his work and his people or it would not work. But if his work was done in his people, then the church will function properly and bring glory to God, passing that down, uh, that glory down from one generation to another. God would send that down. I, uh, I feel kind of interesting right now. I'm going to talk just a little bit about Ephesians. And there are probably people who have studied that book and taught that book even far better than, than me. But the book of Ephesians to me is kind of splits. The first one, two, three chapters, it's actually six total chapters. The first one, two, three is all just kind of a, a, a little treatise on salvation. These people were saved, but they didn't know what had happened to them. So Paul spends a lot of time telling them what what happened to them and how they got saved and what happens now, those type of things. So it's salvation, one, two, three. And then chapters four, five, six are all kinds of wonderful things that they should and could be doing. Be imitators of God. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. It talks about um, uh, putting away certain things and putting on certain things. In fact, the whole last chapter, chapter six, is sort of these incredible things we can put on even daily hourly so that we can fight Satan's schemes like the the belt buckle and the shoes and those kind of things. It's wonderful. So you've got one side of it is salvation and the other side of it is kind of like what I call rules for holy living, good things that we should be doing. Interestingly, one, two, three, chapter one, two, three, salvation. Interestingly, four, five, six, this incredible rules for holy living. And right square in the middle is this prayer. (laughs) Most pastors, this is my own way of reading. I was reading it, I thought, why does he pray in the middle? Most pastors pray at the beginning. Most pastors pray at the end. What was he praying about? What was he hoping to have happen? And it just made perfect sense to me. That Paul, this is kind of like a bridge prayer. This is call, pulling, or Paul calling out on behalf of those Ephesians and saying, send it on down, God. These are saved people. They got these things they need to do, but you're going to have to help them. And so every time I see this verse, and I've prayed this many times myself, it seems like it's a sanctification bridge. It's a wonderful bridge prayer. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray it with me. It's uh, on the back of this sheet, point five. I actually personalize this. Now, it works best. If you'd stand with me, by the way, I'm almost done. It works a whole lot better if I could put your name in there. But that would be hard to do. (laughs) So I used I, me, and my. It reads a little clumsy, but it's my best thing to do with a congregational. But it just personalizes this prayer. If it's your heart's will, your desire, much like I think Paul was for those Ephesians, to, to have God help us, 
save people to do these things. I, I think this type of prayer is a wonderful bridge to that process. You need God's help. And if that's your heart today, I'm going to read this. And if you'd read it right along with me, that would be wonderful. Are you ready? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen me with power through his spirit in my inner being, so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And I pray that I, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within me, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear our words today. We call out to you and ask that you would send it on down. We need help. We're your saved people, and we want to live the way you want us to live. So enable us, fill us, use us, Lord. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus, and everybody said together, Amen. Amen.